Welcome back to another episode of Oral Max Facts, where we discuss the evidence behind your daily practice in oral and maxillofacial surgery. This is Maria McBarry, and I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Ribi Patel. In the last two episode series of medication-induced osteonecrosis of the jaw, we discussed medications that have been associated with this disease and pathophysiology of the disease. And in our second episode, we talked about how to decrease the risk of embrange in patients who are taking these medications but still need a dental procedure. Today, we are going to talk about medical management of embrange. To start, what are our treatment objectives? Mainly to eliminate pain, control the infection of the soft and hard tissue, and minimize the progression or occurrence of the bone necrosis. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, those are some good objectives. I think we can all agree that treatment of hemorrhage is rather challenging, and there's wide range of treatment options available out there. If you look at the literature, you'll see anywhere from control of local measures to wide resections as part of the treatment. But let's bear in mind that to this date, we do not have any strong studies with concrete data for Emron's treatment. And a lot of what we will talk about today is basically recommendations, largely based on experiences and opinions. So take it with a grain of salt. One thing that we all agree on is that regardless of the stage of the disease, area of necrotic bone that are a constant source of soft tissue irritation and loose bony sequestra should be removed or recontoured so that the soft tissue can heal over it. The extraction of symptomatic teeth within exposed necrotic bone should also be considered. The thinking process behind that is that when you're extracting the symptomatic teeth in the area of necrotic bone, the extraction is unlikely to make the situation worse. So patients who have established emrange should avoid elective dental alveolar surgical procedure since these surgical sites may result in additional area of exposed necrotic bone. At least this is what most of us believe in and practice. When it comes to medical management of embrange, as we all know, it's very, very controversial. Currently, it is mostly based on the staging that we previously reviewed in our first episode. But as we know, the staging is quite broad. Anyway, so let's remember that the treatments are mostly empirical with different modes of action hypothesized for each modality. So we have a lot of room to grow and innovate in the non-surgical management of embrange. Let's look at the adjective non-surgical management of embrange and the evidence behind it. And this is very important discussion because a lot of times what you will see is stage one or initial staging where you will require some of these adjunctive medications. So the first medication we'll talk about is Paradex or chlorhexidine, as most of us know it. Basically, chlorhexidine is a topical antimicrobial that comes as a formulation of 0.12%, and it has been shown to be effective in treatment of Emrange. Most common recommendation of chlorhexidine is for the management of stage one disease as a singular therapy. And this is important 
because a lot of our patients that come initially with no pain, no infection, just exposed bone, you can just treat them with chlorhexidine and they may actually get better. But for more advanced stages, we routinely recommend chlorhexidine in addition to other medical or surgical therapies. So according to a study published in the Journal of Clinical Oncology in 2020, where they actually looked at the effect of teriparatide on bone healing in patients with established MRONG, they found that the therapy of paradox and antibiotics, when used as needed, resulted in resolution of MRONG in about 33% of cases when used over one year. So as advocated by AMOS guidelines, I usually tell my patients to rinse, to swish and spit with paradox for 30 seconds to one minute. But Dr. Agalu and her colleague argue that lavage does not remove biofilm from the exposed bone. And it is the biofilm that acts as a source of irritation and inflammation. So they did a study in which they instructed patients with different stages of amrage to use a cotton swab or even a small toothbrush that's dipped in chlorhexidine to remove all the plaque and debris from the exposed bone. In this retrospective study, 106 patients with 117 MRON sites were included. So the first question you would ask is, is this associated with different stages of MRON? Well, they used staging from a position paper and found that disease stage actually did not have any effect on disease resolution in this study. The variable that affected disease resolution was in fact wound care score. Amron's lesions were assessed for the presence of bleeding at the affected site and plaque accumulation on the exposed bone. A scale of 1 to 3 was used for bleeding and plaque accumulation, with scores 1, 2, and 3 representing mild, moderate, and severe, respectively. An overall wound care score from 1 to 6 was assigned by compiling the data measured. Points for bleeding plus points for plaque accumulation which equals to total wound score. The lower wound score means lower plaque and bleeding on the follow-up visit. So Riddhi, what you're saying is that according to Dr. Agalu and her colleague's study, if patients use Paradex to scrub the exposed bone, they have more chance of disease resolution? Exactly. According to this study, the lower the wound care score, the faster the disease resolution. It's sort of intuitive. It is intuitive, but that's not what we tell our patient. And this study really does a great job of um, illustrating it factually. Yes, exactly. Okay. So check this out. Patients that had wound care score of less than three had 60% lesions completely healed within first year. And by two years of treatment, disease resolution had been obtained in 80% of patients with good wound care scores, as opposed to patients with poor wound care score did not undergo disease resolution at a similar rate. At one year of treatment, only 20% of lesions had resolved. At two years of treatment, only 40% of lesions had resolved. And this basically suggests that oral hygiene, specifically local wound care of Emron's lesions, 
is extremely important for disease resolution in patients with established MRUNs. Of course, the study is retrospective and given the nature of MRUNs, it is rather challenging to account for all the confounding variables. This basically calls for more prospective study that tests the efficacy of this hypothesis in the future. This is fascinating finding, and the study was done so well, and it's such a simple change in what we instruct the patient. It has a great clinical application for changing the way that we can tell our patient. It doesn't cost patients anything more or extra, but if you just tell them, hey, listen, take a small baby toothbrush, dip it in the chlorhexidine, and scrub the area with this, they have a higher chance of disease resolution. And it helps us to help our patient that choosing to have a conservative treatment in a different way than just rinse and speed, something that we've been telling. And as you guys, as really allude to it, had 33% chance of disease resolution within one year with just that placebo. Okay. So Paradex was one of the things that we all are familiar with. We are hearing about other medications that can be used in treatment of MRANGE, and those are pentoxifilin and vitamin E. Now, you'll ask that pentoxifilin and vitamin E, aren't those normally used for radiation, osteonecrosis? Exactly. So what is pentoxifilin? All right, so let's just review what pentoxifilin and vitamin E are, right? And what they do for us. Pentoxifilin is a metalxanthine derivative that is used for management of peripheral vascular disease. What's the mechanism of action and how does this drug work? Well, so pentoxifilin actually reduces the viscosity of blood and it improves the flexibility of erythrocytes, which are the blood cells, and the flow of microcirculation and increases tissue oxygenation. It also helps an anti-tumor necrosis factor effect, also shown to inhibit inflammatory reactions and decrease fibrosis. But the most likely effect it has is in decreasing pain and accelerating wound healing in radiation-induced tissue necrosis, as I mentioned earlier. That's a Delanian theory. Vitamin E, also known as tocopherol, is an antioxidant. What does it do? basically influences platelet aggregation. It helps tissue impair fibrosis. What is the evidence behind these two medications? There has been a recent systemic review from Temple University that looked into use of pentoxifilin and vitamin E for treatment of medication-related osteonecrosis of the jaw. They looked through many, many, many databases and identified all of three articles, two of which were case series and one was case report and included 14 patients. I know, I know, the end is very low, but don't lose hope. There is a small shred of hope. All of these 14 patients presented with pain and 12 had exposed bone. In all of the studies, the dosage that was prescribed was 400 milligram of pentoxifilin two times a day, and dosing of vitamin E was variable. Anyway, all the patients were instructed to rinse, not scrub, rinse with Paradex twice a day as well. All these 14 patients reported to be free from pain, erythema, swelling, and purulence at the end of their therapy, 
with no reports of adverse effects. The great news is that the University of the Washington, in collaboration with University of Michigan, Alabama, and New York Center for Orthognathic and Maxillofacial Surgery, are on phase three clinical trial for pentoxifilin and vitamin E in treatment of medication-related osteonecrosis of the jaw. There is no data that has been published yet, so stay tuned. Well, that makes me wonder, Miriam, what do I do in the meantime? Let's have an open conversation with our patients, especially those who rather avoid surgical treatment at all costs. So vitamin E is usually over-the-counter, and the price of pentoxifilin 400 milligrams for 60 tablets ranges anywhere from $15 to $30, based on good RX website. So for an average 13 months of treatment, the cost is less than $1,000. All right, so moving on, the next drug is actually one of my personal favorite, just because I see patients here and there on this, and you know, a lot of dentists practicing out there don't necessarily know what to do with them. And I've personally encountered patients who have been instructed by their dentist to go ahead and stop this drug. So it's important that we bring it up here and we educate ourselves on what this drug is. So this drug is teriparatide or Forteo. I'm sure a lot of you have seen patients or had other providers or patients ask you about Forteo. This drug is a synthetic parathyroid hormone just used for the treatment of osteoporosis. So teriparatide stimulates osteoclasts and osteoblasts when bone resorption occurs, producing an anabolic effect. Currently, this drug is indicated for the treatment of women with postmenopausal osteoporosis who are at high risk of fracture, who have been intolerant of previous osteoporosis therapy, or in whom osteoporosis treatment has failed to increase bone mass. In an intermittent subcutaneous administration of 20 mics per day, parathyroid hormone has been demonstrated to lead to a very active anabolic phase with bone mass increasing up to 13% over two years in the spine and to a lesser degree in the hip as well. There are some isolated case reports of successful treatment of established hemorrhage with teriparatide. I mentioned one study earlier. But here we're going to break down one of the few, if not the only placebo-controlled randomized trial that is out there. This paper is titled, Teriparatide Promotes Bone Healing in Medication-Related Osteonecrosis of the Jaw, a Placebo-Controlled Randomized Trial. This study was funded by Australian National Health and Medical Research Council. Trial participants were individuals above the age of 18, who had a diagnosis of hemorrhage that was diagnosed by a dental practitioner. So the participants in this study were randomly assigned in a one-to-one ratio to receive eight weeks of either once-a-day subcutaneous teriparatide, 20 mics, or normal saline injection. Both groups received oral calcium carbonate, 600 milligrams once a day, in addition to vitamin D, 1,000 international units once a day, and standard clinical care for hemorrhage. Then participants were assigned randomly and were stratified according to the duration of hemorrhage diagnosis as a less than 12 months and or equal or more than 12 months group. 
the primary outcomes for clinical and radiologic resolution of Emron's lesions as evaluated by oral examination and a CT scan. So what did they see? They calculated that they need at least 68 participants to allow 80% power to detect a significant difference between groups, assuming that two-thirds of the patients in the placebo group would have resolution of Emron's during the study. But they were only able to recruit 34. Having said that, though, the result of their study is rather intriguing. Teriparatide was significantly associated with a greater rate of resolution of Emron's lesions in comparison to placebo. Teriparatide was also associated with increased bone volume and reduced bony defect size in a greater proportion of patients at 52 weeks. Yet, among participants with persistent Emron's, there was actually no significant improvement in clinical stage. And this is a very important point. Seems like there might be some implications for it, but we need to do more research to be able to specify the group that will benefit a lot from it. Yes, absolutely. But what do we do in our practice? Well, as of now, there is no indication to discontinue this drug if patients are already on it for osteoporosis in order for us to do dental treatment. So you must not ask patients to come off of this drug before you do any dental treatment. You guys remember Dr. Alpalu's study that we just reviewed moments ago, the impact of wound care score on resolution of the disease? Interestingly enough, so did this study that we just coded. The only significant predictor of Emron's resolution was the low gingival index, aka good oral hygiene. And as we had mentioned in our first episode on Emron's, they found that participants with concurrent use of steroids and diabetes to be less likely to get resolution to get disease resolution. So in conclusion, this randomized placebo-controlled trial showed that eight weeks of once-per-week sub-Q teriparatide injection improved the rate of resolution of established Emron's lesions. Before treatment with teriparatide, levels of serum calcium, PTH, and vitamin D need to be monitored. Teriparatide cannot be given for more than two years. Why can it be given for more than two years? Because when PTH is given continuously, it is associated with increased osteoclastic and osteoblastic turnover, and that leads to a net of bone loss. There are also some concern for osteosarcoma in preclinical studies. Okay, so, so far we talked about paradox and the importance of having our patients scrub it in the local wound. Then we talked about vitamin E and how it doesn't cause patients much and we should have an honest conversation with our patients. And then we talked about the role of Forteo in Emrange. So let's move on to one of the other controversial topic, HBO. As popular as hyperbaric oxygen is with osteoronecrosis, it actually has not picked up the same momentum with Emrange as we already know. Having said that, It has definitely been tried, but we have to be cautious because most of the data on HBO treatment comes from case reports. There has not been prospective double-blinded controlled studies 
testing the efficacy of HBO as an adjunct of therapy for Amranj. Because a lot of HBO data is derived from a number of case series with no universal treatment guideline, low power, and variable treatment outcome measures, HBO seems rather experimental, and no treatment suggestions could be made as of yet. But there is one person that is very adamant that HBO could work, and this person is Dr. Freiberger. Dr. Freiberger is an anesthesiologist at Duke University who has been researching the efficacy of HBO treatment in Amaranth for a number of years. In fact, the only controlled randomized clinical trial on HBO and Amaranth was published by Dr. Freiberger in 2012 in JOMS. This study did not win much favor from Cochrane Review due to high risk of bias. This trial randomized 49 participants most of whom had cancer. It compared standard care defined as surgery, antibiotics, and oral rinses at the discretion of the oral maxillofacial surgeon to standard care plus hyperbaric oxygen therapy, which is two atmospheres twice a day for 40 treatments. The trial measured the percentage of participants who improved or healed at 3, 6, 12, and 18 months and last contact. It also measured mean weekly pain scores. At three months, the study found that the participants in intervention group were more likely to have an improvement in their osteonecrosis than the standard care group patients. There was no clear difference between the groups for the outcome healed at three months. There was no clear difference between the groups for improvement or healing when they were evaluated at 6, 12, and 18 months and lost contact. The study did not give information on adverse events. Although the findings suggest that adjunctive hyperbaric oxygen actually helps improve Amaranth, the quality of the evidence is in fact very low. Since the only study was underpowered and was at high risk of bias due to lack of blinding crossover of participants between groups and very high attrition. In summary, the clinical utility of hyperbaric oxygen for management of Emrange remains unclear. Ding, ding, ding. Anyway, let's move on to another adjunctive role of laser in Emrange treatment. Low-level laser therapy consists of applying a beam of light generated by lasers on the surface of wounded tissue so as to deliver energy in the depth of the tissues. Contrary to high-power laser that use in surgery, low-level laser therapy is thought to modify cell function favorably by reducing pro-inflammatory cytokines and by increasing anti-inflammatory growth factor and cytokines. Who knew? This is, this is physics doing magic, right? <laughs> Can't say it's medicine, it's physics. Anyway, dosage, wavelength, and site and duration of the treatment all contributes to the variability of low-level laser therapy. Several different types of crystals are used to focalize and amplify the light energy. We weren't able to find any concrete evidence, so we share with you guys in this episode. So let's summarize. We talked about a lot of adjunctive therapy, including hyperbaric oxygen therapy, ozone therapy that we didn't really discuss at all, but it's out there, 
pentoxifilin, vitamin E, they all have been advocated, but they are all based on case reports or not a very good control case series. Their utility has not been established by randomized trial. The only two adjunctive therapies with evidence behind them is Paradex and use of teriparatide for eight weeks once a day. As for antibiotics, penicillin-based antibiotics remains the mainstay treatment due to its effectiveness against most commonly colonizing aerobic and anaerobic oral bacteria. Our most common penicillin alternatives are clindamycin, fluoroquinolones, and metronidazole. Bear in mind, though, there are no data to clarify the most appropriate duration, day, dose, or route of antibiotic therapy for Enronch. Dr. Williams and Orion recommend a two-week course for patients with persistent stage 1 disease and up to four- to six-week course for more severe cases. IV antibiotic can be considered for patients with no improvements with oral antibiotic. However, no satisfactory trials has shown the greater efficacy of IV agents compared to oral medications in management of Enronch. All right. I think we can continue to talk about more and more agentive therapy because there are a lot of them out there. But again, a lot of case reports and some of them are only been trialed on one patient and been reported. So really can't rely on that kind of data. But these are some of the ones that you are most likely to encounter and most likely to use in your practice. So as for the agentive therapy, that's it for now. In our next episode, stay tuned because we will be talking about all of our favorite subject, which is the surgical management of Emranj with one of the well-known experts in the field. Do you want to know who the expert is? Well, you can if you listen to the next episode. Exactly. <laughs> I was going to be like, got to listen to the next one. <laughs> so stay tuned for a final episode on this topic. Okay, well, thank you for all your support. Keep following us on Instagram. Keep sending us messages and give us a five-star review. Until next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.